The rest of us are going to go to James 4. There's an excitement about this time of year that we can greatly use. Merry Christmas is not yet socially unacceptable to say. Um, I heard it on the Macy's Day Parade, so I'm assuming it's okay um, by Al, whatever his last name is. Um, so um, at the end of that parade is when he said that, and I said, oh, if they say it on national TV, we can definitely say it. Okay, so I would encourage you to, to talk to your neighbors about Christmas, talk to your unsaved uh, friends, uh, family, and go as far as they'll let you go. Uh, we don't want to be harsh or unkind. The gospel is offensive enough, um, but uh, we can and should be uh, bold uh, with our faith this time of year. So that's my first slide. Let me find my clicker. I think I left it down there. Or it's hidden. All right, so James 4. There's several uh, themes of Christmas and songs that just in the title have a lot of meaning, and I'll try to use those this month uh, to provoke us, so come let us adore him. And the choir's working on uh, a song or two, but our, our Christmas program this year is primarily going to be carol singing, and so... Let me encourage you to invite those. We have invitations in the back uh, to join us here uh, on December 22nd, a Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. We'll have food after, uh, but it'll be a lot of Christmas carols. Uh, one choir number, I think, without, uh, without the congregation, one choir number with the congregation, and then the children have two songs I believe they're working on. So, uh, But the primary, our primary focus is going to be on Christmas carols, and so you can invite your neighbors and don't bait and switch them. <laughs> uh, just tell them this is what we're going to this is what we're going to be singing. Uh, primarily singing, we'll have, hear a message from God's Word, but the primary focus of our uh, of the night, uh, the primary time of our night, will be uh, Christmas carols. So, coming to adore Christ, how can the world tell that we adore Him? If you were looking at a Christmas story, we're not going to look at a Christmas story. There's not a lot of scripture about the Christmas story, actually. So I don't think uh, God wants us to focus on the birth of his son as much as he does on the death, for sure. Because there are chapter after chapter after chapter about the death of Christ, which is the focal point of why he came. And two of our Gospels mention a few verses about his birth. Would your neighbor tell me that you adore God? that you adore Christ? Would the average person in your family that you may have gotten together with at Thanksgiving, if you have been with them for three, four, five, six hours, would they come away with that thinking, they love God? If you were to listen to the shepherds the night that Christ was born, you would hear them say something along the lines of, come let us adore him. And they left excited and spread the news that the Savior has finally come. 
We as God's people, at the end of the Old Testament, God's people were waiting for over 400 years from the time that God last uh, used Malachi and Nehemiah to pen the last words of the Old Testament. 400 years of silence, and then the Messiah came. We're actually in a waiting period now. We've had 2,000 years from our Savior ascending back to heaven and said, don't stand here watching me, to his disciples, go get busy for, for me. I will come back, and I'll receive you to myself. We need to show the people around us that we adore him. We can fake adoring God. We can come here and sing songs that we have just sang. Uh, but if those songs aren't in your heart, they don't give you a bounce in your step on Monday, Tuesday, or Monday when we're shoveling snow, uh, we can be singing Christmas songs. We don't have to be complaining about how heavy or whatever it is that we don't like about this time of year. We need to be adoring him. He is the king of glory. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I studied that last night in Psalm 24, and it is true. God owns all things. And there are two aspects of our day-to-day -day life that should show that we adore our God. When we adore someone, it is easy to submit to them. When we don't adore someone, it's hard to submit to them. We know the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. But it, the verse before that in Ephesians 5.21, we're supposed to submit to one another in the fear of God. It is very easy for me to submit to my kids when I adore them. Dad, I really want to get donuts. You know what? Let's go get donuts. We just had a Thanksgiving feast. That's okay. Let's get donuts. Okay. If we adore someone... We're going to want to submit and to please them. Um, and so James is going to tell us about day-to-day -day submission. Now, this passage, like a lot of James, has a, a very pointed warning tone, especially verses 5 to 6. And this is a 5, 1 to 6. This isn't going to be, um, what, what do we do with this if we say, I don't even know how to apply this passage of scripture to my life. Now, James 4, 1 to 10 to 12, a little bit easier. Um, and James 4, uh, 13 to 17 will be easier to apply. Uh, but God's word doesn't return void. And all of it is necessary for us to be complete. And so there may be a blind spot or two in, a, in our thinking, in our lives. I've been challenged a couple times as we've started James that I may come across harshly as your pastor, and I uh, need to apologize for that. I do not mean to, um, to talk down on you. Uh, James is very convicting to me as well. But James is, uh, is going to give us a lot of wisdom that we need. I also want you to know that James doesn't give us this mature believer as a carrot on the end in front of a donkey and we're trying to get to the carrot but it's attached to a stick right and you can never quite get there that's not also how james is going to show us christian maturity is is something that no one has ever been able to accomplish so why try that's not how we need to read james either but we do have we do fall short when we do things and live certain ways and talk certain ways and lack god's wisdom 
we do need to be provoked to depend on our God. And Christian maturity is attainable. Every command that God gives in his word, especially the New Testament, he gives us all the grace we need to obey it. And when we obey it, we'll understand what Christian maturity is. And uh, this thirst for wholeness, uh, this uh, wisdom that gives us feeling like I'm exactly where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm changing how God wants me to change. And I hope that as you read the book of James and study it on your own, that uh, God helps you to progress in that, in that thinking. So I'm sorry if I've come across as a, a cruel farmer that uh, makes his donkey keep plowing with the carrot dangling and never... I'm assuming a good farmer lets the donkey have the carrot at the end of the plowing session. So there is, uh, there is maturity that is attainable. There is a way to control the tongue in James 3. No one can do it without God's help. There is a way to have God's wisdom. There is a way to ha show faith and sh that is not uh, faith without works being dead. There is a faith that shows that works um, that your faith is alive. There is a way to not be partial. There is a way to be doers of the word and not hearers only. There is a way to um, cry out to God whenever we sin and uh, get to the root of our sin. There is a way to deal with trials that helps us to our faith in God to grow. So we need to see our God in all of life. And the more clearly we see him, the more mature we will be. And this, if you have seen your God closer with the study of James, then you have gotten a little more mature and you've grown in grace and knowledge of our God. And so this is our goal as you read through the Bible and finish, uh, finish reading your Bible this year. I'm uh, debating with two different options for next year. I have a month to think about it of the challenge for next year. Uh, but we can't ever stop growing. And when we read our Bible, we say, okay, I read it 2019. I'm done. I, I don't have to read it anymore. Uh, that's not how we need to look at God's word either. But day-to-day -day submission is something that we all struggle with. And so uh, as elders, we have, um, and if you are serving at church here, uh, we are an elder-governed uh, church with uh, a lot of congregational input. We see that in Scripture. There were leaders of churches. Uh, Paul had uh, Timothy and Titus to ordain elders in every church. And um, we have set up in our, in our church structure, any, anyone who serves in our church has to be approved by the elders. Anyone who wants something on the church calendar has to approve that by the elders. The elders have the say of what goes on the calendar, what, uh, how we spend our money. The deacons uh, give us a lot of advice on how to, uh, how to uh, take care of our church building and the parsonage and the grounds and everything. But the elders have the final say of how we spend our money as a church. So there is a uh, submission uh, built into our church leadership. There's a submission built into every family. Um, the, the person who's looking at your finances, the, the spouse that's better with money, Dave Ramsey would call you the nerd, the person who's the nerd and not the free spirit knows all the budget, knows all the numbers, knows every category and how much money you should spend in each category. 
And so they are the person that probably controls a lot of the finances. They look constantly, I'm the person in my family, look constantly at your uh, bank statements, you're looking at your credit card statements, you're making sure the bills come out on time, bills are being paid, everything, everything about that. And there's probably someone in your family that takes care of the calendar. If you wanted to get together with our family, you don't talk to me because I don't take care of the calendar. If you want my kids to come to your house and play or your kids to come to my house to play, don't talk to me because I don't do the calendar. Uh, that is my wife's. So I tell my kids, hey, go talk to your mom. If your mom says it's okay about the calendar, that's fine. My wife comes to me and says, hey, honey, can we buy this? Can we spend this? I'm the one who... Uh, who answers that question. So there is a calendar that we're planning for 2020 for our church, but we have to, with all of our planning, all of our calendar ideas, we have to submit those somewhere and ask God to change those if they need to be changed. So is your calendar, first question, day-to-day -day submission, is your calendar submitted to the Lord? Now, if you wanted to meet with me this week and you talk to me right after at the door, the first thing I'm going to do is pull out my phone and I'm going to go to my calendar. And my calendar will tell me, and I did this before actually, church, between Sunday school and church, I set up an appointment with someone to meet later this week. We were supposed to meet tomorrow morning and eh, I don't know about the weather, so we moved it later in the week. So I pull up my calendar. My wife and I sync our calendars. Technology is great. Um, but... If you were to look at my calendar, I'm, you're going to probably see there's not a whole lot on there because I'm not a calendar guy. Uh, there's stuff that I need to remember, uh, but I usually talk to my wife about the family, uh, the family calendar. But is my calendar in submission to God? How do I know that? Well, James is going to help us with this. Day-to-day -day calendar, we all have to talk about it. This month, if you were to look at your calendar this month, it's probably one of the busiest months of your year. So I'm going to ask you, does it have to be? You say, well, yeah, that's just our culture. We have to go to the, all these work parties. We have to go to all these family things. We have to do all these church things. Plus, we have to work. Plus, we have kids' programs at school. Plus, we have a cookie swap on Saturday. Plus, we have, and you just, and the December for us, probably for you too, the calendar is extremely packed. So how do I submit to the Lord with my calendar? Well, James 4.13 helps me with that. It gives me some wisdom. Verse 13 says, come now. now he's going to say the same thing in verse 1 of chapter 5, just to get your attention. He said this before, um, and sometimes he adds brothers to it. Um, but he says, now, just, let's just think about it. So if you're ever really busy and overwhelmed, sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, let's just take a break and let's think about what we're doing. Let's think about our priorities. So verse 13 says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. This is... I try to come across in a bragging tone, okay? So this person is planning, let me catch up to my notes here, 
calendar submission to your Lord. If the Lord is Lord of your life, that means he's master. That means he can change anything he wants on your calendar and you're okay with it. If my children are in submission to me and they have plans for tomorrow's snow day, we're already planning it. We're having a snow day, okay? If we have a snow day and they've got plans in their thinking, Dad, we're going to do this and this and this, and I just bought them snow shovels. <laughs> there used to be a time when my kids loved snow shovels as a gift, and I told my, my kids I got them snow shovels at the store this past week, and they weren't thrilled. <laughs> They weren't looking at, what a great gift, Dad. So thoughtful. <laughs> they have to submit their calendar to my wife and I. Their time is not theirs. They live in our home. Your calendar, as much planning as you love to do and have everything in order, your calendar really isn't yours. Your calendar belongs to the Lord. If you forget that, read Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and those who dwell therein. God owns everything, and he controls everything. And when God changes our calendar, we really find out whether we're a mature believer or we're not. And so calendar submission to the Lord, and sometimes we think this way. This is why James records this words because we get into calendar planning, we get into I'm going to get a lot done. I was planning on getting all of my house renovated in two weeks. That's not funny, Diana. I'm not, I'm not really. No, I'm just kidding. It's been eight weeks, and I probably have at least three to go, maybe four. I was way off in my, in my planning and how much work was really involved. But we, we run into problems when we're like verse 13. So we're in, welcome back, our children, and we're in James 4, verse 13. It says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Here's a person, like any wise businessman, is going to plan his year and according to this businessman this year, he's going to go into this certain town or towns. He's going to stay there, and he's going to trade, probably like a merchant, take goods from his homeland, go to somewhere else. They don't have those goods there. Trade and then make a profit, come back and trade again and sell what he got from that town in his home country. Um, and that's how, he, that's how merchants would make their living. But... What is missing from this, and unsaved people live this way all the time. God is not, they're not in submission to the Lord, but Christians should not. And this has to be, he's, he's uh, challenging us as believers. We can plan without depending on God. We plan our lives without dependence on God or without allowing God to change anything of our plans. And when God does change your plan, like, for instance, did you see yourself in this situation this year, last year, in the 1st of December? Maybe it's financially, maybe it's health-wise, maybe it's uh, relationship-wise, whatever it is that you say, no, I wouldn't have chosen. I wouldn't have seen myself live uh, in the house that I had last year this time. It wasn't in my plans. Um, 
different, different plans. But we have to submit our plans to God, and in submission of our plans to the Lord, um, we have that shows a dependence on Him. We have to plan with dependence. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So you can make all of your plans, but you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Some young people have their whole career planned, and something like 70% of young people change their major in college, and that wasn't in the plans. Some of them go completely different direction. So if you're dependent, that doesn't mean God doesn't change your plans, because you could be depending on God. God doesn't change your plans until later, and that's fine too. But are you depending on the Lord, and is he allowed to change your plans? Because you're planning all this, and your life, you don't realize, is just a mist. The more I'd spend time working on my house, I'm thinking, you know what? This is just all going to be disappeared one day. There's going to be nothing left of my house one day. Nothing. It's all going to be burned up with fire. That helps me to keep things into perspective. If it gets a ding in the wall, if there's mice in the house or whatever else that can, uh, uh, water in the basement, um, leaky roof, anything that can happen, uh, rot, rotting wood, anything that can happen to your house, you know, it's just... It's just temporary. Anything that can happen to your car. Now, if you've been driving your car for years and years in the winter, you may have rust underneath it. You may plan to try to protect that, but you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And some of our cars, like one of mine in particular, I don't know what tomorrow will bring with it <laughs> because it's getting older. We need to live with realizing that our life is a mist. It appears for a little time and then vanishes. You young people, I used to be young too. And I used to think 40-year-olds were old, really old. And now I don't think 40 is that old. No, it's not that old at all. Some of you that are much older than me, you think where, and I've heard many of you say this, I don't know where life has gone. I've blinked and 70 years have passed. I can remember when, 70 years ago. Where did those 70 years go? Life is a mist. You're on that end of life and you need to tell these young whippersnappers that life is a mist. It appears for a little time. You better be depending on the Lord. If you aren't depending on the Lord, your life is a waste. We need to live with realizing that our life is a mist. We realize our life is short. So we plan. I plan things. Not just to make a profit for myself, but I plan in light of my life is short. So I need to plan and organize um, the best of my ability so that God can use me and my time. So this is a problem. Planning without depending and living without realizing our life is very short. It's a mist. So what's the solution? 
Well, James gives us that in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say. So the solution is to add Lord willing. If the, you ought to say that if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. My grandfather was a very unassuming man. He uh, was probably only five foot three, um, not highly educated, but pretty smart, a very good mechanic. Anything that would break on mechanic-wise, small engines, big engines. He worked on diesel trucks, I believe, uh, some of his life. Um, very, very smart guy. And there is no doubt in my mind that my grandfather loved the Lord. He would go to church Sunday morning, and I would go with him sometimes, different church than ours. And he would, I remember him distinctly saying this, at the end of every conversation, as they're in the lobby of their church talking, hey, we'll see you tonight, Bob. And he would, and he would say, yeah, yep, Lord willing. Uh, or see you next week, Bob. Yep, Lord willing. In the parking lot, he would see people. Hey, I'll see you on Wednesday. Okay, yep, Lord willing. He would add Lord willing to almost everything in the future. I thought as a kid, why does he say that so much? Because he knew James 4.15. It may not be the Lord's will that my grandfather be at church on the Wednesday or the next Sunday or even that night. We don't know what a day has. So in our, all of our plans, and we read Proverbs 16. I'm not going to go back there for sake of time and look at it again. But Proverbs 16, and we could have read more, um, but Proverbs 16 tells us that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We can make all of our plans, and all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, verse 2 says, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Why are we doing what we're doing? I'm going to challenge you. Look at your calendar differently. Is everything on your calendar submissive to the Lord? You say, I am worn out with my calendar. Just looking at your calendar makes you tired. What needs to go then? We had two options for this Saturday morning, and we said, you know what? One of those isn't going to work because at the same time in different locations, something's got to give. So what's going to win? And sometimes... You just are so tired with life. We didn't plan to go see anyone or do anything on Thanksgiving because we were so tired as a family. That's okay. We sat around all day on Thursday. But the Lord wills that we live and do this or that. Acts 18, uh, one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys. Uh, we have seen Acts already. But Paul, I, I think it's Paul, uses, I want to double check, and you can... Go there with me if you want, or just listen to Acts 18, verse 21. So Paul leaves uh, Ephesus. He loved Ephesus. He spent many years there. We know from studying the book of Acts that. And he um, would have stayed longer, verse 20 says, but he, uh, but he declined. But on taking his leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. And he sets sail from Ephesus. He does go back and see them in chapter 20, final, this final time to see those in Ephesus. But adding if the Lord wills, if God wills, is a way that I believe my grandfather was saying, God's really in charge of my time. My timer in his hands. 
So the solution to planning without depending and living without realizing that our life is short is is saying, or thinking at least, if we don't verbally say it all the time, we're thinking, I'm going to make all these plans for this month, this week, tomorrow. I'm going to make all these plans for 2020. But an asterisk next to all of them is, if God wills. The Lord is able to change my plans. You may have a planned vacation, and they sell travel insurance now, so if you can't make a flight or a cruise or whatever else, you can get your money back because some Times things come up, family things come up, health issues come up, and God changes our plans. And we have to be okay with that. Planning without depending, living without realizing, the solution is saying, thinking, praying, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's evil to plan without God. So James says, I didn't write this. I'm just trying to explain it to us. It is evil to have a calendar without depending on God. Yes, it is for the Christian. Your plans have to include God. And God has the ultimate veto power over all of our plans. Every day, every decision is... His to change. And if we're boasting about our plans and look at how clever I am and how organized my life is, that boasting is evil. We boast in our arrogance because we don't realize our life is a mist. We are, by human nature, weak, temporary. So we need to look at ourselves when we boast without God as evil. This is talking to Christians. All such boasting is evil. Now, how many times has James brought us back to two, two topics here? One is the tongue, and one is self-deception. James keeps coming back to those things. How we talk reveals what's in our heart. If we're really submissive to God, then God changes our plans. It's not going to be a problem for us. But if we're not submissive to God, we're going to boast in our organizational skills. And our calendar can be packed, and we can get a lot done and a lot accomplished. And we've had days like that where we get to the end of the day and so tired and say, oh, we got a lot done today. That's good. But there are some days that God changes your plans. And you, don't, you get to the end of the day and you think, what did I do? It seemed like I wasted all this time. And things came up that I did not have planned. And God changed your calendar that, that day. And you get to the end of the day think, okay, the Lord wanted me to have a conversation with this person. I was expecting five minutes because that's all I had on my calendar for them. And it took two hours. This phone conversation, I try to get stuff done while talking on the phone sometimes, like you probably do. And it, it took, took me away from something I wanted to do. The Lord wants us to lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And sometimes our calendar is just full of earthly things. And we boast about those things. God labels evil and sin. God's labels of evil and sin are on proud planning of your schedule. Look at verse 17. You may have used verse 17 for a number of different contexts. But in the context here, this is simply planning without God. Boasting about how 
how well we can do without God in our calendar, and that boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if we don't submit our calendar to our God and allow him to change it on a regular, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, we're evil and it's a sin. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But it's very hard to do. And that's why we need God's wisdom and his grace. So we have to agree with God's labels of evil and sin on proud planning of our schedule. We try to, in our leadership meetings, to pray before we have any uh, leadership meetings. At the end, sometimes we pray as well. Um, but realizing that all of our plans are nothing if God is not in it and God can change it if he wants to. And he has since I have been here in nine years. Uh, God has changed our plans as a church, and he has the right to do that. He's the head. We're just the body. We'll do what the head tells us to do and be faithful and organized as we can to accomplish what God wants us to do. So that's our calendar and our schedule. That's day-to-day, living submission to the Lord. We're told back in verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. What's that look like? Humility. That's when we get God's grace. And when our calendar is submissive to God, submitted to God, and let him do whatever he wants to it, um, then we're fine with whatever changes he makes. And there are people that want to do things at church, and they talk to us elders, and we say, you know what? I think that's good. And if they get all bent out of shape, or maybe you've done this, get all bent out of shape, man, I wish we could do it. I wish we could do it now. I wish we could do it this way. We should start it tomorrow. Okay, well, we have leaders here, and we'll try to follow Christ. Um, but pride will hurt your ability to minister. And whenever we're proud, we show that we're not submissive to God. Second thing is our money. Okay, verse uh, chapter one or chapter five, verse one. Come now, same introduction as verse thirteen. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. So he starts with the solution, and then he's going to give us the problem, verses two to six. So weep and howl. Weep is the same word back in verse uh, nine. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. So the ESV translates that word the same way. Weeping is crying. It can be quiet. Howling, maybe some of you have a dog that howls or your neighbor has a dog that howls and you know exactly what howling is. Howling is crying aloud. That's what it means. So you may weep silently, but when you're crying aloud, what are you saying? In this context, you're saying you're wrong. I have been so wrong. And that's what a rich person is going to fall into this category uh, of all these ways he has used his riches and used people to get riches. And God's going to confront him here uh, through James. And this is not the first time that the rich have been confronted. They've been confronted in chapter 1. They have been um, and need to realize their position's not better because they're wealthy over poor people. In God's family, everybody's the same. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, wealthy people usually uh, ha- are partial. People are partial toward them, so they enjoy some. Um, some. It's not who you know. Uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know. And rich people are on the good side of that, uh, typically, and that's chapter 2. And now chapter 4, or chapter 5, uh, James goes after um, wealthy Christians again. It's not a problem to be wealthy. It's not the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. 
Money's not money's just a tool. It magnifies your character. And how we use our money, how we look at money, how we try to gain money, all needs to be in submission to the Lord. If it's not, this is all almost all negative. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here other than just reading it, a few comments, and we'll be done. So he starts with a solution because they have an obvious problem. Now, if you had a very crooked businessman, someone like Zacchaeus before he was saved, we heard about Zacchaeus last Sunday, right? So if someone like Zacchaeus but claimed to be a believer but was still a tax collector and still stealing money from people and he was in the church, we, he would not be a popular man. And this would be the type of person that James is going to address. Someone who is in the church, someone who is wealthy, and has not got his wealth ethically. Okay, It's not wrong to be. A lot of people in the Old Testament were wealthy, godly people. Barnabas in the New Testament was wealthy. Probably um, Philemon may have been wealthy if he had owned slaves and others that could sell property and give away everything that they sold. Those people probably were wealthy. Um, so there were wealthy people in the New Testament. Nothing wrong with having wealth. It's how you get it, how you maintain it. Is it in submission to the Lord? So verse 1 is the solution. Repentance for proud accumulating. This is like accumulating wealth without God. It's like calendar planning without God. Now accumulating wealth without God. And we all know people like this. Claim to be believers, but they are all about one thing, the bottom line. Does it make me money? Now, people are f fanatical. There has never been the uh, parking lot that I have seen at Salem Mall has never been packed since I've lived there. But on Friday afternoon, it was packed. And people are driving around following people to their cars just so they can get a parking spot. That's just one mall. I went to Target later on Friday, and I, saw, I walked in the door of my girls just to get a few things. I saw the line all the way down to the grocery store. You know what, girls? Let's go online. And we walked out. But there is a proud accumulating of stuff that is dominating our culture that we can get into this. I've got to get more money. I've got to get more things. And if, as Christians, we aren't submissive to the Lord with our, with our finances, we will be condemned like James does here. And this is this does not look good. And this is just going to go one after another after another. He's just going to pile on all of the ways that these wealthy people that got it uh, unethically have used their money, they've used people, and you're going to see a lot of you, yours, you have done this, you have done this, you have done this. And so let's just go down through the list. Verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. So people that have wealth love to store up their money. They also like to wear fine clothes. We see that in Christ's day with the Pharisees, and that's how it is today too. But imagine really fine clothes with massive holes in it because moths have gotten it and eaten it. Now we have mothballs to try to help with that today, but I don't think they had mothballs back then. So you have these really wealthy people, and they, have, they dress wealthy, and they've got holes in their clothes. They'd say, oh, I can't wear this out in public. Someone might see this. Okay? So, verses 2 to 6 are going to give us the problem. Temporary, same, uh, similar problem as the temporary calendar planner, scheduler without God, is the person who's accumulating wealth without God as a Christian, knows better, should know better, thinking, it, I just have to get and get and accumulate. 
without God. And so this person's riches have rotted. This is God's perspective of their wealth, and their garments are moth-eaten. All the stuff they've put their money into is, is being destroyed by creation. Verse 3, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. It's like a court uh, case here. And God is putting these pe rich people on trial, and their evidence is against them as they got all this hoard. They're kind of like misers, all this gold and silver. Uh, it's starting to, to tarnish, get corroded, and it's evidence that they're just laying up treasure in heaven without, with, uh, on earth, I'm sorry, without God. And this corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Whoa! He's not mixing words here. And this is really disgusting to God. And anytime you see, almost all the time you see fire in the Bible, when it talks about some warning, it's talking about judgment. So there is temporary, proud, cruel luxury. How does this person treat, um, treat people? Uh, you have laid up treasure in the last days. It's not a time to accumulate proud wealth. It's a time to lay up treasure in heaven. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of your labor. So this guy is wealthy. He has people that are coming to harvest his fields. And he doesn't pay them enough. And the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, they're expecting payment. But you want wealth and you want cheap labor, which you have kept back by fraud. You owe these people money and you're not giving it to them. They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters. So these guys who have worked for you, they're going home to their wives and kids and they don't have enough money to survive. And you're living in obvious wealth. It's... The cries of those people that have worked for you, that have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And when you see Lord of hosts, it's the hosts of heaven. God has the armies of heaven, all of angels at his disposal, and God controls heaven and earth. And if you are a believer and you're doing unethical business dealings, taking advantage of people just to accumulate, you don't realize that you're under God's judgment, and the Lord of hosts is against you. Now, that adds more uh, meat on the bones of chapter 4, verse 6, where God opposes the proud. How does he oppose the proud? This is how he does it. He judges them. He will judge them harshly. And that's the idea there of fire. Verse 5, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So, <laughs> I don't know if you've been to a farm or know a farmer, but when they start feeding cows or pigs or, um, or other animals that they're going to, they call it fattening them up. They give them really a lot of food, and those animals don't know what's coming. They think, yes, extra food! Yummy! And they're eating all this food, and then off to the slaughterhouse they go. And this is how proud accumulating wealth is. Without God in the picture, we're just using people, we're abusing people, we're hoarding all of our stuff, and we don't realize that our hearts have been deceived and it, the day of slaughter is coming. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. There's a idea of what that he does, he is, is that the 
poor person to the rich person? Is it God not resisting you? Is it, it's most likely in the context here, uh, the righteous person doesn't resist you is probably the best, um, best interpretation of this. So, and Jesus said that in Matthew 5. I think, I think it's verse 39. So whenever someone uh, demands your coat, give them your cloak also. They demand that you walk with them one mile, you, you go with them two miles. If they hit you on the right cheek, turn the, turn the left cheek as well. That's what James is bringing out here. So we need to worry about being righteous. How do we be righteous when we're surrounded, sometimes surrounded by people in a workplace where everyone is out for themselves? Everyone is lacking God's wisdom at the end of chapter 3, and they are biting and devouring each other, like uh, Galatians 5 says. What's the problem? Problem is wealth is just temporary. Wealth encourages us to keep being proud and trusting in ourselves and our um, business prowess. It causes us to treat other people cruelly and live ourselves in luxury. But we will be judged harshly by the Lord of hosts. So how are these two submission things together. This is our final note here. God's warning of these day-to-day -day proud activities should lead the godly to humble repentance and dependence. We depend on our God for our food. We depend on our God for our money. If you ever stop depending on God, you'll find yourself condemned by James in James 5, 1-6. You'll find yourself starting to be cruel, starting to be angry, trying to use people instead of just using money to help people. Money's just a tool. It's just things. You know you're leaving all your money here. So some people say, yeah, I'm going to spend it all myself. Okay, <laughs> you can. That's your choice. But you need to submit your money to your God. How does he want you to use it? How does he want you to use your time? Because how we spend our time and how we spend our money is how we spend our lives. And our whole life needs to be dependent on God, not just our calendar and our money and I got the rest. No, there's nothing else. Everything, anything that God wants to change, he can change. He's the Lord. We submit to him. He's our master. That's what Lord means. He does what he, does what he, what he wants to do with us, and we are okay with that. He can take our money, he can use our money, he can have our money. So our warning needs to be clear. James has a pretty clear here, warning here. So our day-to-day -day proud activities should lead away from pride to humility. What does humility look like? Repentance and dependence. If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, I will give my money. I will not hoard it. I will not treat people cruelly. I will then mirror what God, how God the Father looks. He is the righteous God, and he wants us to use our calendar and our money for righteous things. Let's pray. Our Father, we come now to you, realizing we all have uh, a calendar. We have a schedule this week. We have money to use. I pray that you would challenge us with your spirit 
to use our time and to use our money for your glory, not for ourselves. Challenge us and convict us quickly when we don't live uh, like you expect us here in James 4 and 5. And help us to, as a church, to provoke each other to love you, to love others, and to serve you and serve others with our time and our money. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.